Hey folks, uh, Cam is still in Europe, enjoying his time uh, across the pond, but we still have content for y'all. We have an episode commentary. We have never shared it before in the subspace feed. Cam, what do we have here? Yes, I am currently lost searching for Chateau Picard, but in the meantime, we thought it would be a lot of fun to release this Facebook commentary episode we did for yesterday's Enterprise. We opened that series with Threshold, and we were like, how do we build upon that? Well, how about one of the all-time great TNG episodes? Well, Kim, I'm sure our listeners will be just as delighted to listen to this commentary as you are to uh, sip upon um, you know, some vintage Picard. <laughs> Transfer complete. And welcome to the second Facebook Subspace Transmissions commentary, this time for yesterday's Enterprise. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. Uh, this is Tyler Orton, waiting to meet his destiny. Okay, well, let's count down to the episode. Three, two, one, play. Oh, Cam, it's prune juice. It's a warrior's drink. That is quite true, yes. Uh, I do recall that uh, this was... A recurring theme, especially in Deep Space Nine. Uh, it was brought up in, of all episodes, Way of the Warrior. You do tell. Uh, <laughs> War, <laughs> no, continue Warf, to tell me. <laughs> Worf ordered uh, Way of the, uh, Prune Juice and Way of the Warrior, of course. I, I know, what did you ever make of his obsession with something like Prune Juice? So, do you think it was an effort for the uh, the writers to maybe, I don't know, not not emasculate Worf? But, that was uh, the exact words that were going through my head. Okay. <laughs> well, what, what do you think? Emasculate Worf. I think it underlines the fact that Worf is not as hardcore as the other Klingons. Is that you don't think other Klingons would drink prune juice? I just wonder if it's like his own race that's into it, you know? I don't know. Aren't they all like blood wine all the way? Yeah, if it's non-alcoholic, why bother? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh what do you think about Guinan though? She's uh she's inquiring to Worf about uh his sex life essentially. Like why not see uh a non-Klingon woman? Right, yeah. I mean, I, I like these t types of conversations with Guinan. You know, she's, they always say the bartender knows almost everything about their clients, you know, because they see them at their most vulnerable, you know, when they're drunk. Now, Worf isn't necessarily drunk here, but we're getting some information out of him. And I like that Guinan is kind of the conduit to do that. Yeah, but the very fact that he's saying that, like, human women are too delicate for him, I, I'm not so sure I... Uh, he changes his mind on that one. Yeah, look, I, I think if it's the right woman that comes along, uh, he'd be down for that, right? Was this just an excuse? Uh, how so? He's just like, I, I don't really want to. That's what he's giving is the excuse why he's not dating someone right now? Do you think Worf has kind of intimacy issues? Oh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. But okay, for those who don't know, I mean, yesterday's Enterprise, one of the most significant episodes here, I, I think we finally get to resolve the whole Tasha Yar arc that uh, not a lot of people, I don't know, Cam, you and I just discussed uh, Skin of Evil. We weren't fans of that, were we? No, and I know, I believe it was Ron Moore had said this episode was viewed as a way to essentially kill Tasha Yar properly. Uh, do you think by the end of the episode that they succeed in doing that? Well, it's a great episode. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and it leads to Sila. So I, I, I got I, no complaints. But I, they do kind of retcon that a little bit in that uh, you find out that Tashiar yeah. doesn't actually die by the end of this. Well, she instead endures quite a horrific fate at the hands of uh, some Romulan interrogator. Right. Yeah. Uh, here we are, already into the mirror universe. What do you think of the uniforms? These uh, spiffy belts that they they're wearing now, Cam. They look kind of cheesy to me. Like one thing I really like about Star Trek is a lot of times the uniforms just consistently look great, unless you hit kind of a road bump like the motion picture uniforms. Okay. They they seem to have a timeless feel. Those belts do not look timeless. What to about me. the uh, those baldricks, those uh, sashes that those uh, crew members are wearing? Okay. I, that okay. I'm okay with the belts, are but you... those baldricks that's extremely cheeseball to me. Here's the thing. A lot of thought and effort and design went into the classic Star Trek uniforms for TNG, right? Yeah. How much effort do you think went into those, the belts and the baldricks? Probably like a couple days. I well, it's just a, one episode, right? Yeah, and this already, I mean, they were scrambling to put it on air at the time. Yeah. Infamously, we knew we know that uh, the writers had to come up with the script over the course of uh, Thanksgiving well, long weekend. You bring that up. I was going to bring it up a little later when it showed the writing credits, but this episode is a miracle. Yeah. Because, yeah, it was two scripts smashed together, one that was similar to this where two enterprises, you know, interact, and one that was sort of a uh, City on the Edge of Forever riff where the uh, Vulcan philosopher uh, was the main one was killed and Sarek had to go back in time to become that character, kind of like Past Tense with Ben Sisko and, uh, you know. Gabriel Bell. Gabriel Bell. Yeah. And Michael Piller was like, let's put those two scripts together because the second one, the Vulcan one, did have Tasha Yar in it. it and uh, that's what we get. And they were going to shoot this after Christmas, in uh, you know, just after the holiday. And they had to bump it up because of Denise Crosby and Whoopi Goldberg's availability. So they gave it to four writers who broke it up and did it in a rush over the Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, all the, the best to their families. I hope they enjoyed that uh, yeah. alone time, essentially. But I mean, Tyler, you would agree. Normally when you see six credited writers... Oh, it means it's a disaster. <laughs> exactly. And they all thought it would be a disaster. So uh, that brings up kind of the next question. Why does this episode work? You know, if I, I think maybe they weren't confident about it on the page, but going in, uh, it works for whatever reason, right? And it's funny because, you know, the the Wrath of Khan, Nicholas Meyer had often talked about how no matter how they rewrote that script, it was so elastic, it worked. I don't think this is an elastic script. I think it's actually quite precise. Yeah. Like, you know, these types of time travel stories require a certain amount of uh, crucial details and everything like that. Uh, and somehow they managed to bring it all together. And I, it's just, to me, a miracle. Yeah, I, I wonder if, I, I think it's a high concept that works. I, yeah. It's fun for a lot of people to just picture, because I, I think a lot of fans are obsessed with kind of maybe the, the, the battle parts of Star Trek. They like to think of, you know, the Federation or Starfleet as more of a military organization, and this can allow them to sort of realize that daydream that I don't necessarily uh, enjoy personally. But it, it's kind of a fun what-if sort of episode, too. Mm -hmm. It is. And there's also philosophical questions to ponder here. You know, we'll dive into it. Jordy, of all people, brings it up later on in the episode. But do you think that this timeline that's introduced here is just as valid as the timeline that we follow for most of the run of Star Trek The Next Generation? Hmm. I don't know. Because I this obviously had to exist uh, for those 22 intervening years between the disappearance of the Enterprise-C and right. its reappearance here. Um, does this timeline simply cease to exist, you know, after the Enterprise C goes back in time? I, to I, me, the the timeline of yesterday's Enterprise doesn't feel as concrete to me 
as like mirror universe yeah where i 100 percent believe it's going on at all times this one kind of strikes me almost like the parallels situation sure where it's this offshoot there's a whole whack of them that we see you know with all the enterprises showing up but are they going on or is it just happening in that moment just because Kinda. of all the uh you know the space-time conundrums and all so forth so cam uh sliding doors or run lola run oh what is this oh boy okay well i mean sliding doors is obviously a classic but you know i, I just feel like if i'm gonna see picard on screen i want like rave music okay fair <laughs> so enough. run lolo run okay i like it Where, where's I, the scene of a uh, picard almost running into a glass pane that's being <laughs> carried across the street Excellent question. Now, would you say that Denise Crosby, Tashiar, is more of a uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in Sliding Doors or a Lola? Oh, she's a Lola. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think she has issues with her parents, her family, that right. we see in Run, Lola, Run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, she came from a, a, a background where their drug use was a problem, and I think there's that uh, drug use problem in Run, Lola, Run. Obviously, we're looking at layers uh, of this film, uh, of this episode that nobody ever envisioned before. Right. What do you think of the bridge here? Because, look, uh, David Carson directed this episode, and we see paneling uh, a lot more of these panels all over the bridge. We also see those extra consoles. And it makes me think of that kind of redo that we saw in Star Trek Generations. I was going to say, you can tell David Carson was warming up his darkened Enterprise look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you think it's mostly kind of the influence of Carson? Well, I don't know, because they had such a short period of time to really get this one going. I don't know how much prep time David Carson had. I mean, honestly, if you just told me they were just like, just turn down the lights because we don't have time to (laughs) put into this. Yeah. You know, to really think think it through. I'd believe it. Okay. But it works. You know, it's a simple decision that works. What about John Luke's? Uh, chair way above everyone else on that raised platform Where there. Where should be. <laughs> yeah. He shouldn't be down with the peons. Come on. No. Uh, well, Riker doesn't get a seat. Uh, Troy's tossed off the ship along with Worf, essentially, in this new timeline, too. Yeah. There's no room for a, a therapist on a vessel where I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are suffering from PTSD, <laughs> right? Not at all. Yeah. Okay. How does Wes make it onto uh, a warship at age 16 and a half? He's a hardened Wesley. Is that it? With his mom? <laughs> Like, Beverly is ser- serving on this warship. She gets to bring her son along to be the helmsman? Uh, I guess. Does that work for you? Sure. Oh, okay. No questions. I, I guess. I, I'm willing to go with it because why not? But no, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Okay. One of the things that I, I, I missed mentioning is that uh, instead of a captain's log, they have a military log that right. Jean-Luc is uh, talking into. Uh, it shows to me kind of the difference between what, like I said, that, what some people envision Starfleet to be a military organization versus what I envision it as is an exploratory organization. And I, that's why I like hearing captain's log as opposed mm-hmm. to military log here. Right. Like Captain Garrett. Uh, I, you know, I, I blank it on the name of the actress here, but I, I think she actually really did service to, I guess the first woman captain of the enterprise, which I, I really right. dig here. And I know the uh, one of the original treatments that was at least half the story, it was Richard Garrett. So that was a change from the original draft. And don't worry, got Richard Castillo. Yeah. What do you make of Christopher McDonald in this role? Oh, man. Like, I look, I like... Uh, you you know, buy Chris- that he he's a Hispanic man? No. Okay. And, you know, the thing is, like, uh, Christopher McDonald is an awesome actor. But, I mean, what happy Gilmore forever... Forever, here, here he is coming out mind. of the uh, the the golfer's hole in uh, uh, Caddyshack. You know, it's all in the hips. It's all <laughs> in the hips. But yeah, you're you're saying a happy Gilmore. It's like, can you another golf? Do you reference? have trouble taking him seriously? 
because I kind of do. Well, okay, this is what I'll say. I think the chemistry between McDonald and Crosby actually works here. Yeah, written by Ron Moore. He was the one that covered the romance stuff. I, I actually dig it. I buy them as a couple, as a, a pair that are interested in each other, and then it starts to develop into something more. And so I, I dig him, actually. And, and I think I was actually skeptical, like, first time I saw this episode. Because the first time I saw this episode, in fact, I had seen Happy Gilmore before this, and it was jarring to see yeah. the, the biggest jerk in the world, you know, playing, like, a Starfleet hero. How old do you think he is supposed to be in this episode? Oh, uh, if you do the math, he says, uh, hey, Tasha, if you see a man in his uh, late 50s uh, looking at you longingly, it could be me. And uh, so it's essentially saying that he's probably in his late 30s right now. Do you buy that? Yeah. What, okay. what about you? I don't know. Being a eternally young 36, it's very hard for me to judge. <laughs> All right. I, I buy him as somebody who's maybe 37, 38. Sure. All right. Here we go. Guinan's on the bridge. We rarely ever see her here. Yeah. Do you like that? Um, I, I think I, I do like that because she's clearly a civilian. Civilians shouldn't really be trouncing around on the bridge, especially uh, during a on a warship like this. First of all, how does Guinan get to be in the uh, galaxy-class warship like the Enterprise? Guinan has so much information that it makes her invaluable. So it, I don't have problems understanding why she's on the Enterprise. My question is, why is she not a consultant on some sort of level beyond just being in 10 forward as you know the bartender? Yeah, but uh, I'm thinking like maybe in this uniform, Picard... It's clear that Guinan and Picard have a very special relationship that is very unclear to watchers, uh, right. viewers here. Well, I think we know. Whoopi Goldberg settled that in uh, at the con. Yeah, that's true. Uh, somebody asked her last year at the Star Trek Las Vegas uh, convention, Cameron, and I, she implied that there was a little bit of a something-something going on uh, in the, maybe the bedroom in their past, right? No, she said they were family members. Oh, family members? Oh. <laughs> what kind of family did you come from? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm obviously just, you know, um, projecting. No, she said, like, uh, that she could be, like, Picard's great, great, oh, great, yeah, great, yeah, great, 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 right. great grandmother. <laughs> I know. I, honestly, my interpretation is, like, there was something that happened, like, relationship-wise in their past. I agree. That is what I would take from the evidence on screen. Especially since she makes it very clear that she is attracted to bald men. Uh, right. She says that right out there, so... Um, okay, but look, it's wartime. You've got it Guinan. It is wartime, Tyler. Yeah, you've got Guinan on your ship. I have to believe Picard has enough pull that he's like, I need my special counselor. If I can't have one Deanna Troy, at least give me this badass bartender uh, in the galley. It's not even 10 forward at this point, right? True. I have a question. Do you think Guinan kind of hurts the Troy character? Because they often play a very similar role on the show as sort of these counselors to characters. Okay, that's true. And then they have similar, like, vocational roles. But yeah. they they would always give, like, different advice. Like, I can't imagine Guinan giving the same advice that Troy would give. Can you? It depends on the episode. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Oh, really? A little bit, yeah. Okay. I, I, I can't picture them ever giving the same advice. I mean, I guess the difference is that um, Guinan is more of a, a yeah, like, advisor versus, like, Troy's more of a counselor, obviously. Okay. But uh, do we ever recall Troy going and seeking some sort of counseling from Guinan, though? Some advice from her? No. I cannot think of a scene of the two of them off the top of my head. Yeah, it's mostly just Data. Do you think that Guinan took Data a little bit more seriously than Troy did? I thought you were going to say than Pulaski. <laughs> <laughs> um... I don't know. I, I always felt like there was a lot of respect between Troy and uh, Data. 
I mean, yeah. maybe not in the first two seasons, which are a little goofy, but that says more about the writing than, you know, Troy. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I just feel as if, like, Guinan took Data's, you know, whether it's relationship issues more seriously. I, I don't ever see Data confiding in Troy without her kind of going, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's our Data. <laughs> Wouldn't you say that, though, if you lived with Data, you know, or saw him 24-7? Oh, Obviously, yeah. Cam, uh, what do you make of the Ambassador class starship? The uh, the design that we see on the exterior, as well as the very small glimpse we get on the bridge. I mean, I I like it. Uh, it the problem with any sort of guest starring spaceship is it just doesn't have the impact of the main one, just because of the amount of time and effort uh, that goes into the 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 you know central showcase ships. Yeah, but I do like it. I think the Enterprise C is really cool. Do you think it's a, a good you know antecedent to the D? To a certain degree? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, it definitely makes sense. But I look at, like, the C and, like, the B from Generations very similarly, where I'm like, yeah, they were cool. Yeah. They were, you know, kind of like a blip on the radar of Star Trek. But... Well, I don't know. I, I, I really love the design of the Excelsior-class starship, though. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, when that was introduced in Star Trek Three, you can really see that they were trying to evolve, you know, starship design in a way that stood out from the Constitution class without going kind of like the Oberth class vessel or the Reliant, uh, whatever class, the Miranda class vessel that was the Reliant. Do you think we'll ever see like some sort of show where they go to like the C class level where we're seeing like, you know, Starship C's everywhere? Uh... You mean like a a Discovery C? Yeah, because, you know, we never really thought we'd probably get a Discovery series, which, you know, takes place 10 years before TOS. Like, could we see, you know, the 24th century or would it be 23rd? When would it be? When would it fall right into with the Cs? Uh, You know what timeline they Yeah, it'd be early 24th century. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever see a series where they're doing, like, where they, you know, it's just pre-TNG a few years? No. No? I think, you know, at the 24th century, we've explored it across 500-plus episodes. Mm-hmm. It, if we get a, another Star Trek series after Discovery, i got to believe that they're going to go away from the 23rd, the 22nd, the 24th centuries. Th- those have all been explored. Why not the 25th, 26th, right? Right, yeah. So maybe we can get a, a USS Discovery F or H. Do you go with the F? I feel like the F has a very undignified sound. Yeah. The Enterprise F. The F. Yeah, like no one wants to hit, walk around saying, hey, what do you think of the F? Yeah, you know, <laughs> or, I feel or like just saying, what the F? I feel like they're going to skip to like the G or the H or something. What about the X? Remember the 90s? Oh. X was always the coolest like letter that people would be inserting in everywhere. The X-Files, Generation X. Yeah, wasn't? Uh, isn't it still cool? Uh, it, it seems very dated at this point to insert X into everything. Xena, Warrior Princess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Zercules. <laughs> the legendary Zernies. Oh, do you remember there was that show Lex that had two X's? At double X's, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Um I yeah, maybe we'll see the Discovery X in the twenty seventh century. That was where the letter X move away from the porn industry for a short period of time. Yeah. Uh, what what did they call it? Just, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What about uh or you know what? That uh, would require research. You, 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 we joke about it, but uh, we did get another Triple X movie starring Din, Vin Diesel this year. And we're getting another one. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Would they call it this one? That would be the fourth one. So would they call it just XXXX? Well, they just called this one Triple X Return of Xander Cage. Yeah. So. Uh, how about Quadruple X? It's the fourth one. Uh, maybe. Okay. The last one was so bad. We digress a little bit yeah. here. But uh, w- w- what do you make of uh, these uh, collars that they got on their uniforms? I like the collars. They're yeah. Pretty cool. 
I don't know. I, I like how, well, no, I, I like how the other ones, they've kind of got that V shape here. These look a little stuffy, like they're wearing like turtlenecks that are, I don't know, pulled up a little too tight. But isn't the 24th century always kind of stuffy? This seems so much more appropriate in a way. Yeah. What do you very make button, of... Very buttoned up uh, century. What do you make of uh, uh, Yar's declaration that she's been serving straight of the academy, which would have been four years ago? Mm-hmm. So she's now chief of security after four years and they're in wartime. Do you think just a lot of the other people got killed or like how did she make chief of security after four years? Chief well, tactical officer. I mean, Kirk made captain of the Enterprise in like... 20, 24 hours yeah, in 24 Star Trek hours. Uh, 2009. Yeah. yeah. So anything's possible. Speaking of which, this episode was actually the primary inspiration for Star Trek uh, 2009, according to Roberto Orsi. Well, you and I, we uh, kind of pitched in an episode. We talked about this about a year and a half ago about what would Quentin Tarantino do if he directed Star Trek. And he actually discussed how yesterday's Enterprise should have been kind of a Star Trek film. Right. And I know that Ron Moore's come out and said that when they're trying to do Generations, they go back and look at yesterday's Enterprise and they're like, yeah, no, this should have been the meetup between Kirk and Picard. Like this entire conceit right here. I think it would have been a cool opportunity to bring back, you know, Denise Crosby for the films as well. Yeah, that always felt like kind of a missed opportunity, but I understand when you get to the movies, you don't want to have to explain characters who the you know general audience isn't really that familiar with them. Yeah, but I think Star Trek Next Generation was so much that kind of its zenith by 1994 True. that enough people would have been familiar with Yar. Not only that, but this was the third highest rated episode of the entire series with a 13.1 rating. So, do you think it's what was it that was drawing people in? That was it the yard factor? They must have had a, had a, a hell of a trailer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do we make of the elevated table here? This reminds me a lot of the Battlestar Pegasus, uh, another uh, that was featured in ba- Battlestar Galactica that Ron Moore did. Mm-hmm. This very much looks like the uh, the CIC on the Pegasus here with this raised table, the uh, transparent military diagrams in the background here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you make of it? Uh, I think it's a, kind of the alternative to the observation lounge where people literally are lounging in those nice chairs. I just really like how they've mixed up the visual language of the show yeah. for this alternate timeline because it would be so easy just to be lazy about it. Okay. Well, you, okay. Let's talk about I, the moral conundrum of this well, uh, you know, this episode, which is like, do they sacrifice the, the uh, Enterprise C? What do you think? What but do you this, think of Picard's struggle? Okay, yeah, this scene right here, Picard's telling Guinan what she's telling him is not good enough. Yeah. Like, he needs more than just her gut feeling. And she's like, well, look, it's 40 billion people have already died. I I think uh, Picard this and Guinan, no <laughs> well, they obviously have such a strong relationship, but we do find out later on in this episode that the war is pretty much lost. They they believe that they're going to have to. The Federation is going to have to give in um, or surrender in about six months' time. I don't think it's that much of a conundrum for Picard because he's saying, "Well, look, we've got no hope anyway. This could be the hope to avert any sort of war altogether." Mm-hmm. I don't like. I I think it's a really strong episode. I love scenes like this where we see Patrick Stewart really get to stretch himself. Look at that glare that he's yeah, given. That's gr- that's intense. But look, I can understand why this might be an easy decision for him. Mm-hmm. Do you think they should have made it a harder decision? Do you think that would have made it a great episode even greater? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, like, I, I love it when Star Trek's at its best when you have like a, a bad decision and a worse decision. You have to decide between those. Right. Ooh, Whoopi's like, what is this crew member doing here? Why is <laughs> Tasha, why does she not belong here on my uh, 10 forward? Does this episode just make you wish Denise Crosby had never left? 
Well, that's a, that's a very good question. What would she totally would have continued fitting in well on the series if they had continued giving her as much to do as they do here in this episode? Do you think they ever would have? <sighs> no. Or do you think she would have just fallen even more victim in season two? Well, let's let's play our own what if scenario here. Let's say Denise Crosby never left. Uh, we did hear from one Marina Sirtis that the plan was to scrap at least one female cast member. Right. Marina Sirtis is convinced she was only saved because Gates McFadden chose to leave and Denise Crosby also chose to leave uh, before season two started. Right. Let's say Denise Crosby stuck around. I don't know. Maybe Marina Sirtis would have left the series. What would Worf have been doing for seven years? Counselor. Is that it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Counselor Worf. I think, I don't know. Like, he would have had to wait until what? Like season four until Wes left, and then he would have officially been Helmsman? Yeah. Helmsman Worf. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you make of that? It would have been an interesting parallel. Maybe that's a, we should uh, do a parallel series all about that. Helmsman Wharf. Helms, or Counselor Wharf. He would never have had to change, you know, from uh, red to gold back to red again for Deep Space Nine. Yeah. It is interesting, though. Had they written Troy out, you can see how Guinan would have taken that role. She really would have. Yeah. But it, it's funny. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg appeared in probably, what, like a third of the episodes? Maybe right. not that many, but like maybe at least a quarter, like a very good chunk. I, I can see her being kind of that Troy role, as you were alluding to earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, what would Barkley be doing in this particular uh, universe? <laughs> Is he serving aboard the Enterprise? Uh, he has to be. Doing what? He's also a counselor. Okay. I <laughs> I like to imagine like alternate uh, reality uh, uh, Barkley is like really together. Is he? Yeah. Okay. I dig, you know, like wars shaped him into uh, a manly man? That's right. Okay. He's like Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> I dig. What about... um? You're not expendable, Barkley. Well, there's no civilians on this, so Keiko O'Brien uh, likely did not meet Chief O'Brien. Mm-hmm. You know, those two aren't a matchup. Aren't happily married. I, I kind of wish... <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I kind of wish that uh, we got to see a little glimpse of O'Brien in this one, but uh, can't win them all here. That's the problem with kind of being just a side player. Unless... when it, you've it's, got a, an episode, it's a busy episode, too. It is, and this was the last episode that had like all nine original cast members on the show. Yeah, and then you've got all these other new characters like Rachel Garrett and Richard. Uh, what's his last name? Castillo. Thank you, Richard Castillo. Um, Guinan's on this one too. Exactly. Like, there's no room for like other you things. can't get Barkley and O'Brien in there too. Yeah. yeah, they ended up having to cut death scenes out too. Originally, like Wesley was going to get decapitated. Yeah, I think what Data was going to get electrocuted. Yeah, yeah. that's a bummer. Uh, I, I like how Riker and Picard are snapping at each other. They're not as buddy buddy in this universe. This is the beauty of alternate realities uh, on Star Trek or alternate timelines is that we can have conflict between the characters. Oh, it's beautiful. It is. A... <laughs> yeah, that's just it. Uh, a lot of people are up in arms that Star Trek Discovery will feature conflict between the characters. Uh, I say bring it on. It's what good drama should be. And we saw a lot of it in Star Trek, the original series. Uh, Discovery is a prequel, so I don't think there's any continuity issues or it's going to be a violation of what Gene Roddenberry set out to do here. Right. Now, we just watched a scene where uh, Picard is kind of laying out the timeline scenario to his staff. Um, I, I'm curious, do you view this as a complicated episode? No, I, I actually follow it pretty easily. Because let me read a quote from Jonathan Frakes. He admitted, To this day, I do not understand yesterday's Enterprise. I do not know what the blank happened in that episode. I'm still trying to understand it. But I like the look. Ah. 
I don't know. Uh, you know, and look, the writers, the writers didn't think this was going to be a good one either. Yeah, it's really interesting that you hear so often over time. You know, like Jaws. You know, in 1975, like no one involved with that movie thought it was going to work. Right. I feel like this was kind of their. You know, this, their Jaws. Yeah, in a way, it was because it was kind of a disaster. And it's uh, been voted the greatest episode of the series six different times, in, by including Starlog, TV Guide, and Entertainment Weekly. So it's a very prestigious episode. Yeah. One of the things I wish they had time for, I, I think it was cut out of the original script, but more of a, a, a Data and Yar kind of interaction going on here. We we get this one scene, the turbo lift, yeah. but I, there, there's something about that Data-Yar connection that's... I wish they were able to touch upon with Denise Crosby's reappearance here. I suspect there was probably some things there that got cut out Yeah, just for, for time. Okay, Cam. Um, so do you think overall when we're talking about an episode like yesterday's Enterprise getting voted, you know, the top Star Trek Next Generation episode multiple times, I, where does this one maybe fall on that list for you? Is it in your top five? At least that conversation. Is it my top five. It's definitely, I think, in my top ten. I don't know that it'd be my top five, because um, there's, you know, I, when I'm thinking top five, I mean, Inner Light is obviously in there. Um, Best of Both Worlds Part One. Yeah, to me, it's more of the kind of the, the ones that have more of that emotional wallop. But this yeah. one is, it, it can carry that emotional wallop for a lot of people. Plus that high concept sci-fi thing. I think for a lot of people, this kind of covers the bases. But for me, I. I agree. I don't know if I'd put this in a top five, even though it, it is clearly an exceptional episode. Because there's like maybe I'm just a softy, mm-hmm. you know. Like uh, uh, the room will get a little dusty when the inner lights on, for example. Right. Um. All good things. Yeah. You know, those are the ones that stick out. Darmok. Those... Chain, of, chain of command. Yeah. Um. Man of the people. Cost of living. <laughs> we'll always have Paris. The Royale. Up the long ladder. <laughs> Symbiosis. Code of Honor. <laughs> I, we could name mediocre Star Trek Next yeah. Generation episodes for a long, long time. That's a whole other podcast. So what, what do you think of Ca- Captain Rachel Garrett's dilemma here? You know, she's being sent back in time to die, essentially, in order to stop a war that she is not experiencing in her own timeline. Do you? Right. How well does she sell it here? I think uh, the actress does a great job. Yeah, I, I yeah, Trisha O'Neill, um, her and uh, actually Christopher McDonald were big Star Trek fans already when they got this job, um, but I, I think she does a really good job. It's one of those characters that just by by virtue of the fact it's a very standalone episode. Yeah, you're never gonna see her again. But it's kind of a bummer because I just would have liked so often on Next Gen in particular because it was much more episodic than some of the others. They introduce these great characters you're just never going to see again. And I think there's so much room to explore some of them. She's she's, kinda... she's obviously one of them. I actually prefer her to like Castillo. I like Castillo in this episode, but he's not a character that I'm like, boy, I want to know more about him. Okay. Uh, fair enough. Uh, I, I think he's a more engaging character. She seems a little bit more aloof. But I, I, I agree with you. Like Garrett's somebody that there's more room to explore. Kind of yeah. like a Shelby character where Shelby at least got two episodes. But man, why, why did they not bring her back? Yeah. That kills me there. I know. Okay. Well, I, what do you make of the kind of uniform redesign that we have uh, with these uh, TOS uniforms that apparently they've been wearing for about 60 years, but they got rid of the collars? <laughs> I like the nod to the Star Trek II Wrath of Khan uniforms. Yeah. I, that, look, we, we've talked about that in our costumes episode. They're, like, they're among the best-looking Starfleet uniforms there are. 
So why not bring them back? And well, I'm sure they just took an actual and just <laughs> ripped some parts off of it and were like, get put this on. Uh, I'll appreciate the fact that, you know, you can see that they are using the insignia as a com badge, right. which I, I buy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some good acting on their part, pretending it works. Okay, so we got like a, a bird of prey attacking the ship now. Um, what do you imagine the scale of the bird of prey to be? I am the worst person in the world to ask a question like that, too. I, the problem is the, these birds of prey change in scale every time we see them. Yeah. Sometimes they're sometimes they're tiny. They're maybe like four decks. Other times they're half the size of a galaxy-class starship. Right. Where'd all those rocks come from? <laughs> why are there... Why the is real there, problem is falling rocks. Yeah, why, why is there a quarry on the bridge? Oh. Now, this is a pretty brutal way uh, for somebody to go out here. I'll look at Riker looking badass behind Picard. That's an intense. Jonathan Frakes is so good at looking intense. Yeah. I think right now he's trying to understand the script. Wow. <laughs> look, buzzsaw in the head. They they, they want to make sure we know she's dead. Ice cold. That's why you don't keep rocks on the bridge, Cam. Mm, or buzzsaws. <laughs> what, is, what, what is that piece of shrapnel doing? Like, They need to make some more safety options aboard the vessel, right? They don't have very good safety options on the bridge really it's like when that thing starts shaking good luck yeah well, why why do those consoles explode all the time they, haven't they figured it out yeah, yeah like, they literally blow up in people's faces yeah I, does that ever has that ever happened to you oh so many times have you ever been on like a uh, like a cruise ship and it gets a rockin <laughs> and your laptop blows up <laughs> we'll find out at the star trek cruise one year okay well we're going ahead and uh looking at them debates castillo in command Mm-hmm. Uh, do you buy Richard? He's the last, I guess, senior officer left. He's a helmsman. He's the Wesley, essentially, right. um, taking command of the Enterprise. And there's a real resemblance between him and Wesley. Yeah. He's kind of, I guess, the George Kirk of the crew at this point. Yeah. He, he gets command of a ship for maybe seven minutes, essentially. That's a scenario we don't see enough on Star Trek, is the person forced into being a captain. Like, we saw it in Star Trek 2009. We see it here. But it's something I would like to see examined over a more prolonged period. It's like someone who didn't, who wasn't prepared to be the captain, suddenly being forced to be a captain. Yeah, I wonder if maybe we'll get that uh, same treatment in Star Trek Discovery. Good luck, Captain Lorca. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, look, it'll be fun with whatever they do with Discovery. Hope we are yeah. not dating ourselves too much because uh, that'll be premiering in a few short months. Right here we go. We we get that chemistry again between these two actors. Ron Moore did a fantastic job with this dialogue. Like. I it's buy not, it, but but I I have to give props to the actors too. Yeah, and yeah. it's not easy to sell like romances of the week, and uh, they do a pretty great job. How yeah. did how did this not make our best one time flings or whatever? Uh, because we're cold hearted jerks. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, it's just funny because I usually don't buy the one episode romance, and there's so much story to tell here. I'm not somebody who'd usually buy into this, mm-hmm. but I I buy those two characters together. Yeah. No. Totally. See, perfect moment for Chief O'Brien to say "beaming away" or something like that. Just right. uh, why not give Colmini that uh, paycheck? Tashi are such a like tragic character too. Like nothing ever goes well for her. No, not even in a parallel universe like this. No, and in Sila, good lord. Oh man, do you think Sila's a bratty child? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Spoiled. Yeah. Do you think um, that's an unfortunate outcome of this episode? Is the Sila story? <laughs> Any excuse to get. Denise Crosby back, but maybe Sila's not our favorite character. Can we agree on that? And in, in that maybe her, her plan doesn't make say, much sense. I guess I like Sila. I don't like anything they did with Sila. Yeah. Like none of the, you like the character stuff, not the yeah. story stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love this scene. You know, she's explaining this meaningless death that Yar endured before Guinan ever got to meet her. Would this scene have been improved by a quick flashback to Skin of Evil? <laughs> <laughs> quick by like 12 minutes long? I'm down for it. An Armist flashback? Um, I will get you. <laughs> he has very low emotional intelligence. No, I don't. <laughs> um, or maybe just, you know, that elongated uh, funeral scene in the holodeck. <laughs> Were you, uh, if I recall correctly, Cam, you believe that Tasha Yar was buried in the holodeck. <laughs> Wait, she's not? <laughs> yeah. Not in this universe, at least. Oh. But I love that scene between them because Tasha realizes, why am I going to commit myself to disappearing in this universe if I have no future here? Mm-hmm. I like those kinds of questions. Those are the things that I think that that's actually the tougher decision than what Picard has to go through. The war is pretty much at an end. This is a last ditch effort. His kind of he's going nuclear essentially. Yeah. Tasha, she has the real existential crisis. This is truly an existential crisis for her. Yeah. Do you think there was ever even a modicum of thought about bringing her in back to the series permanently? Like, you could have easily figured out a way to write it so that her character stays aboard the D. Well, somehow. like Sela's character? Yeah. You know what? I, I'll say this. It was a different era yeah. of television. I think it would have been tough at that time. You know, there it would have confused a lot of audiences because uh, that's what they're always concerned about, the studios. Like, oh, this will be confusing to the audience. Yeah, no. you, you don't you feel you'd have to explain her presence like almost every episode? Yeah, it's tough. I would have liked to have Sila integrated somehow. She she could have been another defector. We we've seen that before in Next Generation. Here's a question for you: If they ever reboot Next Generation as like a movie series or whatever TV yeah. series, does Tasha Yar come in and stay on the show? Yeah, yeah. I like I imagined it in my head. I actually uh, I imagine her dying off maybe midway through whatever i don't know netflix series or i guess cbs all access reboot yeah or if it's a film series and they do six maybe she'll die in number three i don't picture her dying off in the first 12 minutes to make room for Worf. i i find them giving Worf something to do yeah i i I think you'd have enough you've had 30 years to figure out what Worf could have been doing on the ship Mm -hmm. well you know, maybe uh, I wouldn't like to imagine they would ignore her, like, uh, like say Rand with the, you know, the new movies. No, I, I can't imagine they would. I think she's still a pretty iconic piece of the puzzle here. And Denise Crosby in this episode is so great. She well, she really proves why. Like, I, I don't blame her for wanting to go to other acting opportunities. You know, she could like she could have just been cashing paychecks for seven years. Uh, why not stretch herself and I don't know. Not that Pet Cemetery is a fantastic showcase for her but right. i understand why she wanted more of an opportunity to act and you know there's that chaos on the bridge documentary where the the then president says like you know she's no katherine hepburn but it's like you would look at her performance here in this episode in the scene here with picard and then compare it to the material she had in like season one you know talking about the penalty box or whatever yeah. and it's like this is an actress who can bring gravitas to a scene really well and she's acting opposite patrick stewart the king of gravitas i know and so you can just see, you know, with how much of, of a difference the material makes, not just for Star Trek or for Denise Crosby, but for actors in general, which is why I'm always kind of, I try to be nice to actors when I'm seeing like a really crappy movie and you can tell they're bombing. Yeah. Especially if it's an actor that you've seen do well yeah. prior to that. Yeah. You're like, eh, maybe it's the director, maybe it's the script. I'll, I'll try to give them um, uh, the benefit of the doubt. Right. I don't. But that last scene, you brought it up. She's talking about how if she 
is going to die, she wants her death to actually count for something at mm-hmm. this point. Which, after Armis, I, I, I don't blame her. <laughs> what are you talking about? Kim, I, I, I think your mom's calling you. <laughs> wow. The two... That, you thought they had their goodbye. Yeah. I, well, I, this is like um, <laughs> Lord of the Rings scenario, multiple endings yeah. to this romance. They're jumping on the beds, practically. They're, look, I... <laughs> <laughs> he seems delighted to see her. He's not yeah. really trying to talk her out of uh, going on this suicide mission. Yeah, Christopher McDonald's not an actor I often think of as like a warm actor. Sure. But he has that in this episode. And it's something charisma. That, yeah, and it's something that's ignored pretty much the rest of his career. Like, right. uh, you know, Happy Gilmore really marked the, where his career was going from then forward. Yeah, kind of like a perpetually in like sitcom of the week sort of deal. Yeah, or, or if he's in movies, he's like the big, you know, asshole or whatever. Yeah. Or, Man, or, like, or leave it to Beaver. <laughs> look at both the Riker and Picard just looking badass at that tactical console. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look at the lighting. It's so moody. Picard in shadows. I love this sort of stuff. Do you think their eyes hurt staring at these bright screens? I don't care. It was worth it. I, I, I always had that big appreciation when they got the uh, blue light dimmer on my iPhone. Like, right. uh, so at, at about 10 o'clock, uh, it goes into more of a golden shade. Maybe that's what they have to do with all these consoles here. So often next generation DS9 and Voyager are really poor when it comes to moody lighting. Yeah. Like original series is really great about it. But when we get to the 24th century, just because of the tv design at the at that point set um production design they just didn't really embrace that sort of feel everything's very flat but i love how episodes like this allow them to be moody and really change up what you would normally get out of a star trek episode visually so we had those uh i think they called them kavork class battle cruisers (laughs) i call them birds of prey right what makes these kavork class battle cruisers is it the scale is it a scale issue as well I'm consistently confused by the Klingon ships. So what is that guy, that console behind Data there, what is he up to exactly? Like, what does that console do? Well, I'm trying to think. Is there a position that other bri- uh, like bridges have in other series that there's no job assigned on the Enterprise? Could he be doing that? He could be the, uh, like, Neelix's job, like the chef. or the, the morale- oh, that's what no, he's doing. It's the morale officer. The, okay, he's coming up with a meal plan and a, yeah. and a party. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is a really bummer scenario. So he's planning a party to uh, cheer everyone up afterwards. I think he's part of the uh, the ship's band. Oh, know? okay, yeah. He's uh, the first chair of well, the tuba. Well, we know tuba. Riker's the trombone, so what? He's the tuba? Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's a little... Uh, how many people do they need on that tactical console? <laughs> They're like really bunch in there, guys. Yeah. And I like it, Jordy. Jordy's doomed to die, right? Yeah. In pretty much every scenario. Do you think this Jordy's more charismatic? You know, he did have the... He was questioning Picard about kind of the timeline stuff. I I appreciate they making Jordy sound smart, mm-hmm. you know. Do you think it would have been fun to make the characters really dynamically different in this timeline? Well, I, I like the subtle hints that we get. Yeah. You know, the Picard and Riker relationship isn't so cozy. Um, right. I think it would have been better... And Picard's he snaps at people a lot. Mm-hmm. I think if they had kind of hammered things home, like if Crusher had like a, a drinking problem or if... <laughs> Wesley was like the bad boy of the ship. Yeah, or mm. I don't know, 
Jordy, he wasn't just seen impaired, but he had like he lost his legs, like Nog did in some battle. Like there's mm-hmm. other elements going on here. Someone has to have an eye patch too, and, and, and that's not data. That's lore. Yeah, you know, just all these little uh, riffs off of it. Have you been following the uh, the new um, comic book, following the next gen crew in the Mirror Universe? I think you know I haven't. Okay, <laughs> I'm intrigued by that I, kind I of might idea. Actually, you know what? When it comes out on trade paperback, I might pick it up. I, I I love the idea of the next gen crew in the Mirror Universe, and it's one of my big disappointments that uh, we never got to see that realized. How did that book never get written way way back? It must have, right? There must I, be I a have TNG believe, Mirror Universe book. I believe there has to be somewhere, right? There has Unless to be. Unless Simon Schuster's really uh, you know, clamping down on uh, what they'll accept and what they won't. <laughs> I think we know they didn't. Uh, I've, I've read some of those. Some of those books are better than others, and right. the ones that aren't so great, uh, you can tell. How many next-gen books do you think you read? Uh, at least six or seven. Okay. Yeah. Out of about 300? Yeah. Okay. yeah. More rocks. More rocks, yeah. How much debris wow. is there? Wow. <laughs> that's brutal. That's a quick death by a rock. How did the rock cut his throat? Yeah, that's an excellent... And I'm, of course, talking about Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Patrick Oh, that's Stewart. an action Jumping over the... the flip. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's what Patrick Stewart has always been begging for, just more action moments like that. And he would get them when we got to the movies. Watch him push those buttons there. I love when they have the fire in like the foreground. Yeah, it's always funny because you know the actor's standing a long way away from that fire. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No, Patrick Stewart made them uh, get it right into his face. So yeah. he, he's like, make them see I can sweat. Yeah, there we go. Back to the regular universe, and you know, what's that, there? That flat lighting. No mood here. Yeah. Was it a missed opportunity that we did not get to see an appearance of evil Worf in this other universe here? That would have been pretty cool. He has to have an eye patch, right? Someone has to have an eye patch. Yeah. But I, I wonder though, what would Worf have been doing because he would have still been raised on Earth because this happened twenty two years in the past, and Worf, I think, is at this time he's in his mid twenties. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Do Do you think he's like? Is there something dark going on? Like he's in an internment camp for uh, Klingons or something? That or he did become a soccer star. Yeah. <laughs> wow. For those who don't know that reference, that's a let he who's without sin uh, shout out. Yeah, a very dark, dark episode uh, that you wouldn't normally suspect. Look, it's Jordy. He's in the mirror universe or the alternate universe uniform. Right. Did alternate Jordy sneak back through? That that explains why he's so inconsistent to character from this point forward. Do you think he's just faking it for the rest of the series? He's like, I don't care what Tasha Yar wants to do. I'm saving my own skin. I'm going through this other universe. That is an excellent question. So what happened to Prime Universe Jordy? Oh, he died, right? Do you think he like? I don't know, threw him into a warp core and uh, took his place aboard the ship. <laughs> I, I bet they have enough similarities in background mm-hmm. that he could he could just be faking it. He's like, oh, yeah, I know you. Both of them are kind of prickly. Yeah. yeah, okay. I buy that. So we've reached the end of this episode. We're watching the credits now. You know, overall, you know, does this episode, do you think it's improved with time? Hmm. Um... I, I, I would not say that because I think I've, as I watch more star trek episodes i come to like others uh and appreciate others in a depth that i did not appreciate you know back in say the 90s right so for example i'll give you um the perfect mate is an episode at the time that i watched it i just kind of shrugged my shoulders at but now i really really dig it uh same with who watches the watchers those are the kind of more layered episodes this is a very fun action heavy high concept sci-fi episode but I don't know. What are your thoughts, Cam? I just wonder if having more time to rewatch it and you know see it on Blu-ray and everything, the ambition of it just becomes more and more impressive given 
the fairly strict rules they had to follow in uh, you know syndicated TV at that time. So this one it has aged well for you. I think it yeah to me it has very well. It's it's the episode that feels the most uh, among the most like something that could happen now in TV versus like a lot of the other shows. Okay. Feel very, you know, 90s, 80s television. Uh, should we expect a uh, season 1 finale of Discovery to be called Yesterday's Discovery? Oh, that'd be great. Okay. Okay, so that... No, no, that the, then we get Discovery going forward in time and meeting the Discovery X. <laughs> triple x yeah <laughs> so that wraps up our yesterday's enterprise commentary i'm sorry no 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 he doesn't they do know they should have called the uh in star trek enterprise the ship what the nxx01 oh the x's are still popular back then that's very true. anyways i apologize cam so we hope you enjoyed and this is again a thanks to everyone who clicked like on our facebook page continue to do that and when we get to the next hundred we'll have another commentary and you know who knows what series it could be that time or, well we'll change it up i think yeah, yeah you know who knows i think it'll be one of your favorite season one uh, enterprise episodes <laughs> preferably yeah. involving temporal war stuff can't wait for strange new worlds with the uh, hallucinogenic <laughs> rock monsters okay so you can also reach us on the twitter i'm at cam v is in vulcans were not harmed in this episode smith you can find me at Reporton, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N as in N triple X O one. Okay, so until next time the arena is closed. complete.